Hello, everybody, and welcome to this week's edition of the Equalizer podcast. I am your host, Claire Watkins. We have a lot to discuss this week. Bigger league issues, five games per usual. Um, A lot, a lot, a lot to talk about this week. And this week, I am joined by Equalizer's own John Halloran. How's it going, John? I'm good. I'm a little bleary. I've been watching a little bit too much soccer, I think, this weekend. There's been a lot of soccer this weekend. Men's soccer came back in full force this weekend, um, in addition to five NWSL games. And But before we get to any of that, before we get to the weekend, we do need to talk about what happened this week because it was very significant and important and nuanced in many ways, but also maybe less nuanced than the league would like people to believe. Um, I am, of course, talking about how on Tuesday... Tuesday evening, we were given a report by the Washington Spirit that Richie Burke, their head coach, was being moved to the front office due to an undisclosed medical issue. The following morning, a report, well, it was kind of complicated how it came out, right? We got word, I believe, from the, I want to give everybody credit for the reporting that they did. So I believe that we got word from The Athletic, um, I saw word from The Athletic first that said that Richie Burke was about to be suspended pending an investigation. I believe that happened simultaneously with the Washington post piece um, about him being verbally abusive to players came out. Then the Washington spirit, I believe confirmed that he was being suspended pending an investigation. And then later that day, the athletic came out with a follow-up piece, which addressed both the process that actually led to Burke being removed initially, the move to the front office, and some follow-up reporting on Washington former assistant coach Tom Torres. And then we all had a conference call with Lisa Baird, which had actually been scheduled before any of this happened. This was a like state of the league, let's welcome the Olympians back, <laughs> yeah. let's check in with the commissioner, and then all of this happens. So Lisa Baird addresses the allegations against Burke off the top says that there's no place for that in, in the league also addresses a particular moment that was seen on the stream between Richie Burke and Ashley Hatch. Um, And then she opened up for questions and was asked many really important questions that every single one of them probably could be its own conversation um, that included refereeing quality, the league's partnership with Rise to do anti-bias training, expansion, facilities, the cl- uh, collective bargaining agreement with the NWSL Players Association, what goes into vetting coaches to make sure that something happens, something like Burke doesn't happen again. So, John, I know you were not on the call, but you listened to it. My first question to you is this, do you think, and we're going to work our way back because that was a lot of information, right? So we're going to kind of start with the the state of the league things, talking about what Baird addressed and then working our way back into the Washington spirit story. Did you feel reassured by Lisa Baird on that call? Uh, The simple answer I I think is no. Um, I think that that she's a a capable leader of the league, or at least she is capable. But I think the larger conversation, as you're saying, you know, if we look at it from 30,000 feet, is that this league is at a crossroads and it really needs to decide what kind of a league it wants to be. Um, Because if you look at the last 12 months, we have the Utah investigation, which they said very little about. We have the Houston investigation, which they said very little about. We have ongoing, as far as we know, investigations with Gotham and now Washington. We have the RISE partnership that you talked about. We have multiple issues, which you didn't even mention, the announcing issues that we... Right, that uh, actually happened after, right? Right, and this is not even a singular announcing issue. There are multiple announcing issues. We have the officiating issues. And then on top of all of that, we have the fines being issued to players and coaches who I think are offering some very good faith critiques. Mm -hmm. Um, They're not malicious. They're not, you know, people, uh, I I don't think in my opinion, overstepping their bounds and then, and then they get fined. So, um, you know, on top of 
the league trying to negotiate its first CBA and, and all of that. So um, I think what's interesting to me is that when this league started out, it was very much a feel good experience um, on a lot of levels that, you know, we had professional soccer again in America, but even on the ownership level, a lot of the owners were kind of looked at as like the good guys and people, you know, Oh, we're so grateful that you've decided to invest. And, and they were all very kind of active on Twitter. And um, I think you've really seen that dynamic change because uh, we're not at that point anymore. We're at a point where the owners and the league itself need to make a decision about where they're going to take this league going forward. Because at, at some point, I don't think we're quite there, but I think we're getting close. There's going to be a break with the fans. I think you're starting to see a little bit of that on Twitter. Some of the anger just just uh, boiling over. You know, uh, we, we've had discussions about Chicago supporter groups. Um, I saw some interesting threads today out there about people saying that, you know, they wish the league was more like the, the WNBA than the NFL. And uh, it does seem like fans uh, of a number of teams and, and even the league itself are really kind of uh, approaching a breaking point. Yeah, I think that there are a lot of voices in this, right? There's the league voices or maybe lack of league voices. There's the players' voices, which we've seen um, the Players Association be more vocal about what they're fighting for. And we've seen um, head of the Players Association, Megan Burke, be available to a number of different publications. I actually spoke to her this week for something separate, so I've I've talked to her. Um, And we've seen fan voices and we've seen media voices. And so I think right now we're seeing in a weird way, everybody sort of has a common goal, which is the league to succeed and to thrive and to move forward. I know that the players feel that way. They want things to be better because they want the league to succeed. I have to assume the league itself wants to succeed. Fans, I think, are at a point, though, where they want women's soccer to succeed and they want players to thrive but if they're identifying that the nwsl is not a place where that is happening they're more willing to walk away and i think that that's something that the league has not necessarily realized exactly where fans have been at with that now going back to this call with lisa baird and i specifically want to highlight her answer about the rise partnership because she was asked a number of questions about it by steph young at the athletic on this conference call because when Annie Costabile at the Sun Times tried to get a statement from the league about it for an earlier piece, they just deferred to the press, to the press release. Mm -hmm. They didn't actually give a statement. They didn't make Lisa Baird available. And so what we saw this week and we talk about, I know people want transparency was we saw one conference call get every single major issue because people are not getting that feedback from the league on those things outside of that. Now, going back to the Washington spirit, and I know, John, I mean, I, we were there. I remember in 2019, you and <laughs> yeah. I were at a post game in Chicago against the Washington spirit. And you asked Richie Burke point blank if he has ever used homophobic language with players. And he said to your face, no. Um, We saw people try to pursue this story when he was with the spirit, before he was with the spirit. There was a lot of stonewalling, right? A lot of no, like on record, it was that we're giving him a chance. It's probably, you know, it's going to be fine. We haven't heard anything, all of those sorts of things. Off record, though, it seems like a bad situation. Now, I don't have any inside information about what happened with Washington. I know that what the athletics said is that prior to them saying that he was leaving for a medical condition, um, they actually had a, a meeting with the team because Burke had violated some HR policies. They were looking into some, some HR, an HR shakeup within the club, and he was on whatever strike. And yeah. Ultimately, that is what led to his shift in position before any of this actually became public. Washington chose not to disclose that. And I think probably they would have been happy never to disclose that. Mm-hmm. 
I think you have to look to owner Steve Baldwin probably for that. He was someone who was cited as being very close to the Richie Burke hire. Um, that ownership change happened at the same time that Burke was hired. Uh, there's a lot happening there. So I want to ask you your perspective, because like I said, it's something that you have at least again in post game in the context of covering games have tried to report on to the best of your ability at the very least of asking for official comment from Birkin from the team. And you didn't get a lot. Yeah. And we should be clear too. He didn't deny it. He did the non-denial. That's, that's true. That's true. He didn't say um, no. Right. Right. He yeah. just said that he hasn't addressed it right. and that he doesn't think about people that way and that he's a people lover, right. um, which seemed to indicate that he probably had used that language at some point and just didn't want to address it directly. Um, but yeah, I, there, there are so many layers to this. I think the one that is potentially the most troubling for me, as you referenced, is that the initial statement that was given was that he was being reassigned to the front office because of health reasons. And look, I, I don't, I hesitate a little bit to question that because that gets into some know. dangerous. We don't know. Right, the, we, we don't know. We don't know. Like there yeah. may be a health issue, but sure, the fact that we got that email and then within 12 hours, yeah. we had had two major outlets report uh, number one, that he had been dismissed or was, you know, uh, forcibly reassigned or however you want to, that it wasn't necessarily a health related issue that it was because of behavior. And then two, we got evidence of very specific behaviors uh, with at least one former player putting her name to it. Yep. Um, and, and uh, according to that report, at least four players yep. um, had, had reported this, this type of, of behavior. It's very, very, very difficult to not be a little cynical about that initial email. Right. And think that, uh, or or at least strongly suspect that health reasons was an attempt uh, to to cover up the real reason for what it what had happened. And um, you know, just to put this back out there in a bigger context too, because you know, when our colleague Dan Laletta had originally reported that Elise LaHue was away from Gotham, there were some people who were were saying that it was some sort of a family issue or personal reasons, uh, which, and Dan kind of got attacked a little bit for that. And it turned out she was being dismissed that there's, right. this was not like some, you know, uh, family situation that she was dealing with, that there were legitimate, uh, or at least apparently legitimate violations of the league's anti-harassment policy. So, um, it, it, one, it reaffirms the need of, of us in, in whatever capacity we are able to as, as mostly part-time media, to try and hold teams in the league accountable when we get these types of statements and to not just take them at face value. Um, but, but two, it's really distressing to think that uh, a team may have tried to engage in a, in a blatant cover up of what was happening within their organization. Well, and this brings up, there are two points here that I want to talk about. And this also ties to the Lisa Baird call because um, point number one points that Lisa Baird called, which she was asked by Meg Linehan at the athletic about coach vetting and what she said very specifically. And I think that this is a point that needs, I don't, this is something that I think not something that I know, but she pointed to that anti-harassment policy, which as far as we know, only came into effect early in 2021 and we believe it was first cited in that Sarah Gordon investigation. And we have since had two front office employees with a lot of power be dismissed due to violations of the anti-harassment policy. So it leads you to wonder a little bit, especially with Baird citing that as being important and being part of the coach vetting process now maybe leads you to suspect that had this policy been in place in the past, there would be more figures, unfortunately, in women's yeah. soccer who would no longer be in the positions that they're in, or at the very least would no longer be, would not be in the positions that they moved to, which is where you look into the Tom Torres, who is now a youth soccer coach. And he was dismissed for inappropriate comments towards players. Um, I believe at an after party of some kind. Burke was going to be moved into the front office. 
Um, obviously, we don't know what would have happened with LaHue. Gotham did not make any misleading statements, but they obviously were not very forthcoming with that situation. Um, there are other figures who have moved on to other jobs because of a lack of, first of all, rules to even violate, and then also a lack of credible reporting on those. And I, and I want to say very, I want to say very clearly, you know, I want to say a credit to those who were affected by Richie Burke and who spoke out about it. I don't expect everybody to be able to do that. The power systems, even if you just look at what they're trying to negotiate with the collective bargaining agreement, it does not set players up well to speak out. I am hopeful that that will change in the future, but that's important. And so my question for you, John, as someone who has covered this league for a long time, do you think that, okay, you put this anti-harassment policy in place, you have two major figures in the league be removed due to violations of that policy. This has to be the environment and systemic a little bit, right? Well, I think, I think we've all heard various stories over the years. Um, you know, it, it, it's interesting too, as, as one of the, the three people who worked on the first sky blue story that the, the sources that we had, um, and, and certainly the ones, the only ones that would go on the record were former players. Right. And that's exactly what you saw in this Washington spirit story. And that goes to show the power imbalance and the fact that, and this is the, this is the truly scary part is that based on that, you have people who are actively in an abusive situation right. who are afraid to speak out that the only people who feel free to speak out are the ones who no longer have their livelihood at stake. And, you know, that's, that's, listen, that's not uncommon in any, any walk of life in any profession, because obviously people don't want to lose their jobs and their livelihood because, you know, their survival to an extent depends on that. Um, But what it shows is that there are still a lot of people in this league afraid to speak out. And I think that shows the, the imbalance between people in power and the players. Right. And so this maybe leads to that conversation about the collective bargaining agreement a little bit, because right now teams have a lot of power. And a point that was made to me this week is especially with the contracts between players and teams, those are contracts that can be severed at any time by a team. And so is a contract really a contract if it can be severed by one party without (laughs) cause? I don't know. Um, And that's the situation that these players find themselves in. They also, um, Lisa Baird cited the total compensation that players get as being a little over $50,000 a year. Um, But the issue with compensation versus wages is that compensation is not something you can take home with you. Wages are. And so, that disparity, I think, also makes it more difficult for players to speak out. So I want to ask kind of any final thoughts on what we saw from Washington this week, what we saw from Gotham earlier in the year. Are you concerned? Maybe concerned is the wrong word, because if this behavior is happening at other clubs, we should know about it. We should be investigating it and it should come to light. But does this feel like a little bit Meg Linehan used the word on her podcast this week of a reckoning within Mm -hmm. the league? Yeah. Um, But that's what I was saying is like the league needs to decide what kind of a league it wants to be. Because right now I have to be honest, it's heading in a way that I really do think the hardcore fans are going to, are going to struggle with and maybe even, you know, just decide, because listen, we both know, that a lot of the fans of this league aren't necessarily even soccer fans per se. Right. They, they just want to cheer for something in their hometown, and, um, you know, a, a woman's sports uh, venture. And I don't think it's going to be that hard for people in Chicago, for one example, to just say, you know what, I'm going to go support the sky instead. Cause right. this is, this is worth my time. Um, and that's not to say that, you know, Chicago is necessarily tied up in any of these, you know, team-based issues that we see, you know, in some of these other, in some of these other markets, but can you imagine being a member of cloud nine right now? Right. After everything you went through in 2017, 2018, you finally felt like things were getting back on the right track. And then this happens. 
Um, can you imagine being a member of the Spirit Squadron right now and looking at Dude, your they made organization? It through the years, <laughs> yeah, just, and just yeah. and just being in a situation where, like, you feel you probably are feeling again. We're not hundred percent sure on this, but right. feeling like your front office just outright lied to your face, right? Uh, even after you tried to bring up, you know, hey, I, we're not completely comfortable with this hire. There's some issues here for the team to be like, Oh no, we investigated. It's all cool. And then two years later, Oh wait, turns out this is an issue. Right. And right. When you see the league giving fines for people trying to talk about some of this stuff or stonewalling themselves and you know, the league is understaffed. We know this, but they are at a tipping point where you're right. They're kind of deciding what the soul of the league is going to be. Lisa Baird said on that call, the words came out of her mouth that she is envious of the NFL. And that was about a specific thing in terms of the ownership pipeline. But there have been a number of hires that have been very NFL centric in the NWSL in the last year. And that's another thing where you notice it, you say, oh, is this okay? A lot of people say, yeah, it's fine. But then the culture changes or the culture doesn't change. And that's where you end up being like, I don't know if this feels great. And yeah, we have, we have fans who are willing to walk away. Um, I do just kind of want to go down all of the things that were discussed on this call quickly, because I know we do, you know, there's a, there's a news purpose here. So there was a question about coach, you know, vetting of coaches. She highlighted Baird highlighted the anti-harassment policy as being a new strength for the league. Um, She was asked about the refereeing. She says she's been working closely with PRO. I think she even posted a photo today of her with the heads of of PRO. She says that the NWSL is investing in a new technical director position who will be working side by side with PRO. She also says they're looking into VAR. Gosh, we could have a whole podcast about talking about that part. Um, She stands by the partnership with Rise. When asked about the board for that organization being mostly made up of white people and specifically their founder being a person who has raised money for the Trump administration, she says that she's mostly been working with Diane Billings Burford, who is a woman of color, is the CEO of that organization. And she said that they were looking for a, uh, an organization with sports experience. That was something that she highlighted as well. She did also say that the players were involved in that decision. We asked a couple rank and file players if that if they knew anything about this in Chicago a couple weeks ago. They said no. Um, she was asked about the broadcast deal. She said that uh, it is league produced and that she knows that the league could be always do better. But she also says that CBS is really happy with it. Um, this was before we had issues with misgendering on a produced pre-planned piece this weekend. Um, she was asked about the CBA. She says that it's hard to put one together, to put the first one together, basically. Um, She was asked where the NWSL final will be. And she said that she didn't have an announcement for that just yet, but that it will be a single site. And they are hoping to announce that soon. She was asked about expansion, specifically into Canada after they won the gold medal. She kind of said, we're looking at a lot of expansion plans. (laughs) She was asked about Segra Field. She says, we're working on raising the quality of facilities across the board. So maybe she walked into this one a little bit because she didn't know that this was going to be maybe such a heightened emotional call. And it wasn't, it was very professional. I don't even mean it in that way, but some very serious things were happening in the league. Um, But maybe that's Maybe even the other way though, because I I really do feel like whether it's because most of us are part-time in this or, or because we want the league to succeed, which is maybe an untraditional you know, media relationship. I almost felt like the questions were a little subdued. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. Or maybe it's because we only get access, you know, once every six <laughs> Twice months. a year. Yeah, yeah. You know, um, but, but maybe that's the issue, right? It all felt a little bit disconnected to the realities of the day to day. And if the league doesn't have anybody who is aware of those realities, or moving on things quicker or being more nimble. We heard all through 2020 about how nimble the league was because they were small, but we're seeing a league kind of try to act big and therefore not do anything at all. Um, And it's a tough place to be. Any final thoughts on any of that, John, was there a particular thing in there that, that, you know, stuck out to you? Um, 
I don't think so. I mean, it, 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 you know, again, being a part of these, well, what are usually scrums at a game or at the draft or at the final, it felt very typical. Um, I think she was prepared for the questions and she knew what she was going to say and she knew she was going to get some tough ones. And uh, I thought she handled them as well as you could. I think in large part, this, this dynamic, do you want to be the NFL or the WNBA goes back to something that I've talked about quite a bit, which is that the problem with soccer in America is that it remains a white upper-class sport Mm -hmm. and has a certain set of values in that community versus the fan base, which I think has a completely different set of values. And listen, the league has to pick uh, because, well, at least, you know, in America, 2021, there's not really a middle ground. If you go down the um, middle, you're going to lose everybody. Yeah. And, uh, it's going to be an interesting next few months, maybe, maybe next year, because, uh, at some point they're going to have to make that call. Yeah. I'll say this. Um, you know, we're, we're from Chicago. This city has a history, a a deep organizing history. Um, we're, we're well-versed with unions in this part of the country. And I do think that one of the best systems put together to help with power imbalances is a strong union with strong representation that is not afraid to know their worth and ask for what they need. And even on top of that, what they want and a league without players is nothing. A league without fans is nothing. And I hope that perhaps a good thing that could come out of all of this is going into this CBA negotiation, the Players Association can say, look, we know that you are on, you know, unsure footing here. Here's what we need and here's what we want. And you can't operate without us. And so I am hopeful that those negotiations go well. And I'm really hopeful that by kickoff 2022, there is a CBA that is finished And players have protections that they didn't have before because it'll matter less if the league is quote unquote good, if they've at least written into a contract, the things that they are contractually obligated to do for players, because it won't, it's not going to be out of their goodness of their hearts anymore. Because I think what we've established is that that's not good enough. Yeah. Um, So I also believe that it's important for us to talk about these games this weekend because the one of the ways to support players is to take their work seriously, talk about the things that they did on the soccer field. And so we're going to do that now too. Just to close out this segment, it seems like a decent segue to talk about the game that Washington played this week. They played a game in Houston, which they tied two to two. They were up two to nothing actually in this match. Um, I think you look at it emotionally, probably felt better for Houston than it did for Washington. I certainly was very afraid at the end of this game that Washington was going to let it go. And I was like, that is a rough week. I don't want that to happen. Um, Paige Nielsen scores first. Tori Houston scores second. Uh, Veronica Latsko gets one back for Houston. And then Michaela Abam, hometown kid. Gets mm-hmm. the final equalizer right after signing her contract too. That's right. It was great. Yeah. I, I mean, the one thought that I had was I was like, Oh man, I hope her whole family is there to see that moment. Cause that is so cool. Um, this game actually was interesting formationally as well as sort of the individual performances. Cause Houston kind of made the wrong call at the beginning. Right. Cause they were getting carved up. It, it was so weird because I don't, I don't know if you noticed, but, for, for maybe that because this was a, a Twitch broadcast, but they didn't put the formations up mm-hmm. in the lineup notes. And so they just did it positionally. And so they actually had, um, had one of the teams in a three, four, three and the other in a five, three, two. And then of course, when they came out, Houston was in a four, four, two and Washington was in a four, three, three. So it didn't even match what they had up on the screen, which isn't unusual. I don't want to get into that a lot. We had Aaron Gilliland listed as a center back for the third time this season on today's broadcast. uh, It's kind of a a rolling disaster on that part, but um, yeah, it was, it was interesting to watch that matchup. Um, Although besides Nielsen's amazing volley, if you haven't had a chance to watch that, definitely go back and watch. It was a full volley, top of the 18, fires it in. We saw again some some officiating issues. 
Yeah. Because Oyster had a handball that, that wasn't called. And obviously it didn't end up mattering because the subsequent corner is the one that Nielsen fired into the goal. This was a but big ball. This was a big ball. Don't <laughs> lie game. For the Washington yeah, right, right, yeah. right. Because, because Washington, uh, I can't remember who it was, but um, had a, had two calls for yeah. a penalty on the same sequence in the 51st minute, right before yeah. Houston scored too. So. Yeah. So, right. So there was a, there was a handball, a pretty clear handball on Megan Oyster that was not called, but then again, subsequent, subsequent sequence, Paige Nielsen sends a rocket in. That's one of the nicest goals of the season, I think. Um, Same with Tori Huster, but then the dash moved out of a very basic four, four, two and moved into a diamond and that worked way better. Um, And so I think, you know, there was some talk on the stream about, defensive commitment and closing in on the ball faster and all of that stuff is important, but they really made a formation change where they moved Shea groom closer to the forwards and the connectivity improved a lot. Um, but that kind of is indicative of the dashes whole season, right? Where sometimes they come out and it looks very simple and very basic. And you're just like, not sure if they're up to up to snuff and then they make these little changes and they look great. So I don't know if it's, still just sort of waiting until they've got their starting their choice, starting 11 back and they know very yeah. much what they want to do when they have those people. And so they're still just sort of trying things out. Jasmine Spencer played right back in this game um, and she did great actually. Um, but I think this was a pretty classic situation of Washington had had a very draining week. They were traveling. They were playing a hot game. Houston let them into the game early by making a bit of a tactical mistake. Houston writes the ship and Washington fades a little bit down the stretch. Um, I don't know if you have any other thoughts. No, I think that's it. I think th- this is, you know, of the things we got right and the things we got wrong in the preseason. Mm-hmm. I think we got Houston pretty well pegged and that we knew that they were obviously much improved and coming off of their successes in 2020 but we knew the Olympic break was going to be difficult for them because they just, they don't have a particularly deep squad and that we knew that they were going to have a lot of players missing. Right. And so I do think again, one of the very astute moves that they did was to pick up Jasmine Spencer at the top of the Olympic break. She's been really important for them. Um, Even just the BAM signing though, you're a little bit like they really need players if they're signing, signing a Academy. I mean, she's, she is uh, an adult player. It's not like they signed her right out of the Academy, but they're signing local people. Well, they also had Sanchez for like three games. Right. Anybody. They're just kind of piecing it, piecing it together. Um, And they did have, they did have Sophie Schmidt available for this one. There were certain Canadians, I think who made themselves available this weekend. Certainly not all of them, but some of them did. Um, And yeah, I mean, I think, Good point for both teams, though both teams probably needed a win. These are the two teams. Actually, that's not true. Houston is currently sitting in sixth, but um, no, wait, that's not true at all. Washington is currently sitting in sixth. Houston right now is in seventh. Um, we have all Ra- or they're either in, gosh, I'm like having trouble with this. Washington's in sixth. OL Rain and the Houston Dash are currently outside of playoff positions. I forget in what order. Um, Houston got thumped last week by OL Rain five to one. It seemed like this one emotionally maybe needed to be a must win for both teams, but I certainly think they will take a a non loss. So I think that that was probably good for both of them. But now next week we are going to start seeing the, the meddling Olympians come back and the trajectory of each team when that happens is going to be really important because we have not seen a ton of separation from the pack. And this is actually going to be a theme. There were many ties this week, actually. Um, But yeah, I I will say this just, you know, person, person to team. I'm glad that neither team lost this one. I thought it was a gutsy performance from the dash to come back. I thought it was a gutsy performance from the spirit to go out in front and um, hopefully they can use this as a foundation to build on. So that has been a lot for the first part of the Equalizer podcast. We'll be back with the other four games in just a moment. 
All right, everybody, welcome back to part two of this week's edition of the Equalizer podcast. I am your host, Claire Watkins. This week, I am joined by John Halloran. We have four more NWSL games to talk about. But first, I will say, please rate and review this podcast. Give us five stars. Leave us a nice review. It helps people find us. And as we try to do our best to to cover the league every week, it's really, really helpful, especially moving into this post-Olympic period. So I really appreciate everybody who's given us a five-star review and given us some nice words. So to talk through a couple ties, well, actually ties and, and some wins, two ties, two wins. First, we had a match between the Orlando Pride, who hosted the Portland Thorns. Um, the Pride second, second or third match in the Becky Burley era um, off a good win against Chicago last week. It seems like the Pride are sort of developing this new reputation, this new identity going into this stretch of the season. Um, Another very physical match, but to get into sort of how it went, the Pride are very, very quick in transition and they gave Mm -hmm. Portland trouble and they went out first on a goal from another goal from Jody Taylor, her second in two weeks. Um, Portland had a performance where I think they would have been hard done by if they had not at least gotten a point out of this. They had a lot of looks on goal. They played their game pretty well. They looked like they could probably use an infusion of some of those players they've been missing for the last five or six weeks, but they do end the full Olympic period unbeaten. They got a goal later in the match, a very nice header by Simone Charlie off a very, very nice ball in from Megan Klingenberg. Um, My first question for you, John, how interesting is it that Orlando is now the hyper-physical yellow card team? You know, I I was thinking about this earlier today and I thought, there's no disincentive to it. Um, you know, we, we saw them play Chicago a week ago. And obviously, uh, if, if you didn't get a chance, uh, Daniel Colaprico had like a four tweet thread on yeah. some of the challenges uh, from Orlando. But, you know, the fact of the matter is, if the officials aren't going to send people off and in some cases aren't even going to issue cards, why wouldn't you play like that? Right. Um, it, it's, it was ironic looking at this week's game in particular against Portland in Orlando because for, for fans who go back to 2017, you know, Portland essentially won the title in that year in Orlando by beating the ever-loving crap out of the North Carolina Courage in that match uh, in the kind of infamous Daniel Chesky final. But, um, yeah, I mean, there's not, there's not a disincentive to playing that way based on the officiating. So why wouldn't you play physical and and get away with what you can until you can't? Well, right. And it's a combination with some really nice stuff from the pride. Uh, Like I said, they're very, very quick in transition. I got to see them in person last week. I don't think there's anybody in the league as fast as they are at pulling that trigger on the counter. And that is what won them that goal in, in this match and gave them some opportunities on goal elsewhere. And it's difficult to play against when combined with very physical play. Cause basically the whole game plan and this worked against Chicago and it worked pretty well against Portland is you pull that quick trigger, you go up a goal and then you just never let the other team get into a rhythm. And to be fair, this ref gave out a lot of cards. I think there were four or five yellow cards um, in total in this match. I think four of them were on the pride and that's fine. They're willing to absorb that. You just get one and then you sort of rein it back in and it almost worked. They almost got the full result. Um, I think that it's not, I mean, I would say that when you look at players being injured and it was confirmed this week that Morgan Gatra, I think got hurt pretty badly last week by a a rough challenge by the pride. Um, That is not good. And that does go into this conversation of protecting the players. Um, But it is working for Orlando they um, are getting some points that they were not getting about a month ago. Yeah. I mean, you have LaRue who's having a very strong season. And then um, I I know that you had tweeted, I think last week about um, Ellie Krieger's service out of the back. And what you saw in that Jody Taylor goal this week was that long service coming out of the back. I don't think it was Krieger, um, but we saw that long service out to the wing to Peterson. And then Peterson puts it right into Taylor and there's a goal and it's literally a two pass goal. So you don't need to, to make a 15-pass combination build up 
working it into the attacking third. You know, you make one good pass out of the back, put it back into the mixer. You've got good, good, tough forwards who are good in the air. Or as you mentioned in transition, when you've got a player like Sidney LaRue who can hit you hard on the counter and it's working for them. I mean, look at where they're at in the table. It's unbelievable. Nobody, maybe outside of their hardcore fans and a few people inside the team itself would have thought that they were going to be where they are at this point. So good for them. Well, even if you look in the short term, they have that very strong start and then they start to fade. I think it was like three Mm -hmm. games without a win or maybe even a three game losing streak. And you think, oh, maybe this is starting to settle in a way where we get back to sort of the median expectations of the pride. But then again, when Burley has come in, the switch kind of flipped again. And it seems like her evaluation of the squad that she has has been very astute and they've been playing to those strengths, which I think is, is good for them. Obviously, like you said, they are still in playoff position with less than half of the season to go. Um, Talking about Portland though, you know, like I said, Portland hasn't lost a game since the end of June. They've made it through the entire international period, even with their medalists out unbeaten. Um, Really, really impressive work by that team. And I don't want to feel like I'm harping on it, but I also want people to recognize what they're seeing, which is a very impressive NWSL season in a year with a lot of uncertainty, both from the stars of the team, but from the depth of the team as well. And I think you have to look at this particular game and see some of the vulnerabilities. They looked a little bit tired. They were on the road. They were in the Orlando heat and humidity it looked like Orlando's game plan might work, but then they kind of found a way and there was a certain amount of quality in front of goal. Again, like I said, I was watching it and we know that in these games, sometimes the goal never comes, but I was thinking to myself, like surely Portland has one in this game. And the fact that they were able to do that. And it was kind of another direct moment for them, right? Megan Klingenberg sends a very, very nice ball into Simone Charlie, who has become an aerial threat for the team, which is kind of a new a new facet to her game. Um, I keep joking. I keep joking about how she's good at jumping. She's uh, on record as good at jumping. Um, but you have to think with the infusion that they're getting, because it's not only that they had a number of Olympians out, but all of those Olympians meddled. So they were out for the most amount of time players could be out. This is Portland's year. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, we we said this at the beginning of the year when we looked at who they were just bringing into the team. I think you have to give Mark Parsons a lot of credit. I think you have to give their front office a lot of credit. When they, after 2019, you could really see them start to disassemble the team and really kind of start from scratch. Um, And then even going back uh, to the draft uh, a year ago when they started to bring in some of those younger players and they decided that they were going to start building this team from the ground up. And what's so impressive is that with all of the players that they've had missing, they've, they've continued to play just as well as they would have if they were there, I think. Um, now, you do have the caveat when you bring all these players back. There is a, a reintegration period. And uh, at, at one of our popular talking points before the Olympic break was, you know, how do they get done working at full capacity in that midfield. So I do think that there is a little bit of that, but we've also seen Parsons able to, to switch gears when he needs to. And while we didn't see that in 2019 with the world cup break, uh, we did see that uh, in previous years, there was, there was kind of the very infamous year of, uh, of 2017 when they actually had sent Allie long to the bench they had just said, okay, well, this is the formation that works for us. And it means that we got to send somebody to the bench and a player of that quality to, to be able to pull that trigger and say, okay, well, this is the change we're going to make. So I, if I were a, a Thorns fan, I would have complete faith that Parsons is going to make the right decisions as they come down the stretch here and how to bring those players back and how to set this team up for success. And it's just even all the more impressive what they've done over the Olympic break. Yeah. Especially when you look at, I mean, you know, shout out to Orlando. They haven't even had Morgan Weaver available for this particular point in time, which um, you've seen Sophia Smith. She's still someone who has these moments in front of goal where you think that the mentality shift is something that she's still working on. But um, even just, yes, the onset of Simone Charlie, 
the consistent work of Megan Klingenberg. Marissa Everett had a couple mm-hmm. shots on goal, and she's someone who scored two goals, I believe, in the month of July. She's played really well for them. Angela Moultrie has coming into the Moultrie's mix. come in and she's looked yeah. she's looked fine. Yeah, she looked maybe, yeah. I mean, maybe a little bit less effective in this game than she was in, in the game um last week, but just they keep cycling players in. You look at the way Kelly Hubley has improved. Yep. Um it's been really impressive from them. So yeah, I I I was really impressed by them getting a point out of this. They were in a situation before that goal was scored that made it look like it just wasn't going to happen. And them being able to get this one out. Good point for them. Um, and when you have the league leaders getting points out of games like that one, that's where you start to see separation. Um, but also again, good point from Orlando. They're turning things around. And I think that they are firmly in the playoff hunt going into this last stretch. Uh, so moving into the other Saturday game, this one pretty significant in its result. John, you saw more of it than I did. Uh, I was on Orlando watch. Uh, you went over to the, the, the home run derby, the baseball field derby between Kansas <laughs> city and OL rain. This one was in Kansas city. Yeah. Uh, Kansas city gets their first one of the season. First one of the year. And you know, this includes yeah. the challenge cup. Off one goal from Victoria Pickett. Was this Kansas City elevating or did O.L. Rain just have a bad night? I'm not sure it was either, to be honest with you. I think O.L. Rain had an okay night. They had, you know, probably their best two chances. Bethany Balser had a header um, right on the six early on in the game. And then Huerta had an open header in stoppage time. So either one of those, um, you know, could have proved to, to, uh, you know, at, well, Balter's header would have put them ahead, and Huerta's Huerta's header would have would have leveled the match. Um, I it just wasn't a good game. It just was kind of just a um, a sloppy game, and I don't think any team, either team, really did anything necessarily to put themselves in a position um, to win or certainly to dominate. You know, even even Casey's uh, goal came off of a deflected shot. Um, and that's not to take anything away. That's a great moment for their franchise. And I think we've seen some positive signs out of their ownership. And I think anybody who's ever talked to Hugh Williams, their coach, um, has come away with a positive impression. And I think everybody wants the best for those former Utah players after everything that they've gone through. But, uh, yeah, it wasn't, it, it just wasn't a, it wasn't a good game, um, either technically or even from an entertaining uh, standpoint. Um, congratulations to Kansas City on their first win, but uh, probably not a game you would have particularly picked out of a hat to uh, be one to represent uh, the league on an on a, uh, exciting level. Sure. Um, right. The rain only registered one shot on goal. Um, Kansas City, I don't think, did a ton better than that. It was Laura Harvey's first match, though I'm sure she's been involved up until this point. But this is the first time she was physically there. Um, right. Like you said, it was a little bit of a deflection off of Alana cook who has had a couple of those sort of unfortunate moments this season. Right. Maybe not a ton to take from this one other than the rain have been hot, right? They dismantled Mm -hmm. Houston a week ago. They've gotten nine points in the last three games. And then they come out on this one and it doesn't quite work out for them. Not a great game. Lace O'Meara got knocked out early. That's part of it too. Yes. That's a good pick. It killed her on a challenge. And, yeah. yeah, she basically out on concussion protocol. We'll see when she's able to return. Um, right. That maybe sets the tone a little bit early in the match. She has to come out. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I guess maybe my question for you is this in that, you know, the game itself wasn't great. If you're Hugh Williams and your team has finally gotten their first win which is great. That's an emotional moment. They should enjoy that all week. But what do you do next? What's the next thing you try to do? How do you, That's do a you good try to question. build off of this? Like what I mean, is the next step? They, you know, even if you look at their back line, they, they had a couple of players out this week that they could, they could bring in and maybe strengthen that a little bit. Um, but it's tough. You know, maybe Mace develops that I think, if I'm a Kansas City fan and I'm pushing myself towards optimism, I, I've always thought Mace was best as a forward. I think one of the reasons she struggled a little bit in North Carolina was they they did what heck what what happened to her 
in the college level and what happened to her with the U.S. national team, which is, oh, wait, is she a center back? Is she an outside back? Is she a midfielder? I think she's a forward. I think that's where she will eventually develop uh, if, if somebody gives her the chance. So I think if you look at that, you look at Kristen Hamilton, who we know was successful when she had opportunities in North Carolina, maybe Mace and Hamilton can develop a little something up top. Um, and maybe they get enough, but it's tough. You know, we, we talked about this a few weeks ago and, and they've done it to an extent is you got to keep trying to look for any sort of opportunities, uh, you know, and maybe this is off season talk to, to move one player on and bring two players in because they just need to build their squad depth a little bit. And uh, I do think they've got talent. A lot of it is younger. So maybe this is a project you do wonder does the ownership get frustrated? Does, does Williams kind of get become the fall guy for the season that they've had? Um, I think this is really something you got to look at as maybe a two or a three-year project for them. Right. And I mean, maybe what you're saying is that the, the North, North Carolina trade was maybe the blueprint then send one player yeah, out for get sure. a couple players in. Um, I thought Abby Smith had a very good game in this one. Mm-hmm. Um, really, really promising to have a player like that. I think, that is someone even just from a leadership perspective that you want to be performing well and you want to be happy there. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, it, it felt kind of like a weird game on a baseball field and that's kind of where Kansas city is at right now. And it was a good win for them. I'm really happy for their fans who have been mm-hmm. very patient. Absolutely. With um, and went through some real tragedy a few years ago. Right. Exactly. So Definitely something emotionally to build on. The soccer is still a work in progress. Um, but yeah, I, I was happy to see Kansas City get this one done. It doesn't help OL Rain much in the points department, though. And this is where we're going to start seeing things begin to shake out a little bit. Things are still very tight, but, you know, with no disrespect to Kansas City, this is a game that OL Rain maybe thought they could get some points out of, and, and they did not do that. So, these are the kinds of things that it's hard in the moment to see if they're going to be influential in the final table, but these kinds of moments do matter. You know, you and I God, sorry to keep coming back to Chicago, but Chicago drops three games between Orlando and sky blue in 2019. And that cost them the shield. So when you have these games where you think that you can pick some stuff up and you don't, I don't know if it's something where you do an entire organizational shakedown, but it's not great for what you're trying to build in one particular season. And they are still on the outside looking in of the playoff conversation, though we know how quickly that can change. So moving on to Sunday's games. Um, nothing super decisive here either, right? So Gotham ties Louisville one-to-one. Uh, Louisville jumps out ahead on a goal by Nadia and Adim. To be completely honest, they could have been up by three in the first half hour, but they don't succeed in doing that. Gotham eases into their formation which is a had a back three which is the first time we've seen them try that this year at the very end of the game ifioma animanu levels the scoring she's been very good as the number nine for them um you know not a disaster for gotham though obviously they're not going to be happy with the way they were carved up early on louisville has to see this as a missed opportunity though right yeah, I mean, to whatever extent we're not to be rude, but that we're worried about where Louisville is going to finish in the in the standings here, because I think I think most of us probably accept at this point that they're one of the two teams that we're not really focusing on when we talk about uh, the playoffs. But um, you know, what was interesting about Gotham is that they they didn't have two of their normal forwards um, with injury. With, with Purse and Monaghan being out, but that obviously then Viennes and, and Lloyd are still out because of their Olympic commitments. Plus they had Freeman and Dorsey are hurt. So that's a pretty decent chunk. And one of the things that struck me, particularly in the second half when they made their substitutions, was that as depleted as their forward core and maybe even their defensive core to an extent was, was that they're still able then – you know, in the second half to bring Pinto and Cujo in and their midfield. So their midfield right. seems to still be completely intact, but maybe their front and their back lines are, are a little bit up in the air right now with injury and international absences. Um, 
you, you know, I don't know. It, one of the things that I thought was funny about this game was that, you know, you mentioned that, that maybe uh, Louisville could have been up three, nothing at one point. And I don't have the, the statistic in front of me, but I really felt like Gotham had most of the possession, but created none of the dangerous chances, especially through the first half. Whereas Louisville barely touched the ball, but every time they touched it, it seemed like they almost scored a goal. Uh, obviously, Nadim had had the one in the 13th minute, but then Sheridan had to have a, a big save on a breakaway later in that half. And so Louisville had a couple of really, really nice chances, but they almost kind of seemed to come out of nowhere. Well, maybe you're answering your own question, though, in that if a team has its midfield intact, they're probably going to drive all ball movement in that midfield. But if they're depleted in the yeah, front and in the back, the back. Yeah. <laughs> that means that they're probably not going to be that dangerous on goal. And that when the other team gets the ball, it's maybe like danger, danger, danger right. <laughs> when they come in against that back three. Um, that, I mean, yeah, it sounds to me like the personnel issues were harmful for Gotham. Um, they changed their formation maybe to fit their personnel. And I mean, a three, a three, five, two makes sense if, those are the players that you have available, but it did leave them very vulnerable in the back. And that is why, um, you know, maybe it works against Louisville because they themselves are not that cohesive in the middle and all of that sort of thing. But yes, it could have been worse at the beginning, but then yeah, credit to Gotham for working their way back into it. They settled in a little bit, really nice individual moments, especially from Estelle Johnson. She yeah. very, she did a very, she very nice good. job. And that's what you need when you have, three players in the back is you do need those individual moments to be there. Otherwise you're going to be in trouble. Um, and then Ethioma Anumanu is someone who was not starting for this team before the Olympic period. Right. And I don't know how you drop her now. It's going to be interesting. Cause the, you know, like I said, I think they have five forwards who are capable of starting. Now we don't, it, it, and, and there was some news on this today, but it doesn't seem like we have a, a timeline necessarily on when purse is coming back right um and i don't think we even i'm not even 100 sure if we know what monahan's injury is and so i think um, it was a hamstring but i'm not entirely okay. sure. Yeah. and so you know maybe next week or the week after getting lloyd getting the ends back is going to be a, a nice uh, push for them yeah agreed right They're, they are a team that have between injury and absence quite a few players coming back so the fact that they have sort of weathered the storm, they had a tough loss last week, but for the most part, they've done pretty well during this period and have to feel good about where they are in the playoff hunt um, going into this last stretch. Louisville, you know, you saw the good stuff and you saw, you saw the less good stuff. Nadiana Deem is very good. Ebony Salmon was very active. Savannah McCaskill had another very good game. Um, so those pieces are all there. And so it's just building off of that, I think. So the final game of the weekend was North Carolina hosting Chicago. Speaking of teams that have some injuries and have some absences, um, this game was delayed slightly by weather, and it was a very wet and slippery second half in particular. Um, North Carolina wins this one on an Amy Rodriguez penalty kick off of a handball on Kayla Sharples. Clear call. No issues with that call whatsoever. Um Gutsy performance by the Red Stars, I would say, who are very injured and are still missing all of their U.S. Olympians. But it just wasn't quite enough. But it also kind of manifested in some of the similar ways we've seen Chicago struggle to get results this year. Um, but well contested, I thought. Uh, I don't know. What are your thoughts on this game, John? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I don't know how many times you can say it, but Chicago's got to find a way to score a goal. Right. It, it, I mean, it's just, and that's not about injuries or anything like that. that no, is the I mean, yeah, none here. of the Olympians are going to come. Tierna Davidson's not going to come back and, right. and solve their goal scoring woes. And neither is right. Julie Ertz or Casey Kruger or Lisa Nair. Um, they need somebody that can help them on the attacking end. And I, I would say that Pew is their best attacking player, but you're not seeing a ton of end result. I would say that you see good sequences out of Kaylee Awat, but no end product. And until that changes, you're, you're going to be in this situation with them. Um, they're, they're just not generating enough. I would say that on their end, 
Aaron Wright probably had the gutsiest performance because it looked like she was not ready to like she played well. But what I'm saying is that I, I think I don't think she was fully fit. And I think they said to her, we need you. You have to play. And I think she just went out there and guttered it out for as long as she, as she could. I thought Sarah Gordon played for, played pretty well in the back. Um, but yeah, the, the, this is the same story it's been for 14 weeks for them. Right. And I think they've, they've adjusted their tactics for the fact that they're not a strong goal scoring team. They're very defensively minded. You saw it again. It's that same way that they combated North Carolina earlier in the season and actually one was they had one of their forwards, which actually ended up being weird. Like it was Alyssa Motts who was one of their forwards who dropped back into the midfield. And then they had Katie Johnson kind of sitting as like the 10 slash false nine behind Watt and Pugh. They had Aaron Wright pushing forward also to clog the midfield. The whole point was to create overloads on the wings to try to negate what North Carolina was doing. It didn't really work this time though. North Carolina. Not got, as well. Yeah. That's, that's Not fair. As well. That's fair. North yeah. Carolina still got quite a bit of space on the wings. Carson Pickett had another good game. That handball came from a sequence of sustained pressure from the courage where they were getting a lot of looks in on goal. Um, They had a very steady, the Chicago had a very steady performance from Emily Boyd. And that actually, I think helped them Um, on the other side, North Carolina had a very good performance from Casey Murphy Two two actually really nice goalkeeping games, I think in this one. Um, But I think that North Carolina got to look like themselves a little bit more in that way where you see waves of pressure you see the ball getting kicked out wide, being sent in centrally. Jessica McDonald was very active. Um, Amy Rodriguez, I actually thought, had a good game too. And I, that and was I think interesting. Yeah. Well, you saw the interchange between them a little bit, which is a good sign if you're a North Carolina fan for the future to see McDonald and, right. and, and A-Rod connect the way they do. And, and that shouldn't be surprising. I mean, I, you know, neither one of them are in the maybe prime of their careers at this point, but both of them are in the top 10 all-time goals scored in the league. Right. And so I think you can expect good things from them once they get on that same page. Yeah. And so it was, it was, a good performance from, from North Carolina, but fair to say that also they, they did not get that breakthrough um, in the run of play, but yeah, I mean, I think a similar situation where Chicago gets scored on early and we've seen some games this season where they're able to come back from that. But again, that was during that own goal stretch where we didn't even really necessarily see it from Chicago's attack. Um, I think, right. I think that you have to look at it in an honest way and like you said pew is absolutely the biggest attacking generator there and maybe this season has actually been really useful for her because she's had to pick up a lot of skills that mm-hmm. are not just kind of running and shooting which i think will help her in her prof- her personal journey in the long run um but yeah she's not we're not seeing the output from kaylee watt and it limits them and so they were just not able to respond despite the fact that there were moments where they got they got some space back there. Um, so yeah, I don't you know. You can't win a game if you can't score a goal. Right. And you, <laughs> I, mean, I know that sounds so obvious, but yeah. they struggle a lot of times to score one. Yeah. And then if you go down, now you need two to get a win. And that, you know, that's climbing Mount Everest. Right. Um, and yeah. And I think again, with the courage, you know, they're sitting in second right now they're putting together, they've got um, two wins in the last two weeks after a little bit of a skid and they'll be getting their U.S., you know, they'll be getting Sam U.S. back, which I think will be a boost for them. They're getting Lynn Williams back, which will also be a big boost for them. I'm fascinated to see how that works with Rodriguez, McDonald, and Williams. Yeah. Um, and then they are going to continue to improve, one would think. They haven't really changed their style of play throughout this period, so I think that the vibe is we're going to keep on with what we've been doing. It works okay with this group of players, but once we've got everybody back in, we're going to be flying again. Um, so they're in a good spot. We'll see if they get to the point where they make a surge to actually get close to Portland, which has a pretty decent lead right now. But um, the interesting thing about the table this week is you look at a team like Chicago, they're actually still in fifth after losing this game because we had a, a lot of drop points, just a lot of drop points this week. And it's kind of funny because I remember in 2019, there was a strong group of, of three teams uh, Portland, Chicago, and North Carolina. 
And then we just, for that fourth team, I think it came right back down to like that last week. And we were joking about how it felt like nobody wanted to take that fourth spot. No one (laughs) really wanted to like separate themselves from the pack. And we're kind of seeing that just like from the whole league this year. Um, You see teams get opportunities. You say, oh, with a win, they jump to second. Or with a win, they jump to third. And then they just can't quite get those points. And I know that teams themselves are not focusing on points, but um, a lot of points being left on the table this season. And uh, I think that that is um, part of why things are still so close. Um, So, yeah, I don't know. Another good week of games. Things are going to be muddy for another week or two because we have a couple midweek games. And then we have some friendlies this weekend. Um, The ICC and the Women's Cup are happening this weekend. So we will see that tournament between Portland, Houston, uh, Lyon, and Barcelona. And in Louisville, we will see that tournament between Louisville, Chicago, Bayern Munich, and PSG. Seems like a bad time of the season for it, to be completely honest. I think these teams are kind of hurt and kind of tired. The game between Louisville and Chicago is a league game. We'll see what they have left in the tank for the friendly game over the weekend. It might be quite lopsided to be completely honest to, to the European teams. Cause I think just through circumstance and readiness, but um, yeah, I don't know. Any thoughts on, on uh, playing friendly tournaments in the middle of a season, John? I, uh, I've always had pretty strong thoughts about this going all the way back to when I used to cover major league soccer. Cause I, it's, it's such a bizarre thing. You've got European teams in their preseason versus American teams in their midseason form. But at the same time, if you're in the middle of your season, do you really want to be putting forth a full effort when it means nothing? Um, And then people, of course, draw these wild conclusions from the results of these meaningless and utterly out-of-context games. So I, I don't really like them in general. I understand the marketing desire for them yeah Um, but that's about it i guess they're fun they're fun on some some level for the fans but uh you know in in that respect i suppose i'm more of a curmudgeon well i think it's different for the nwsl than, than mls as well because nwsl considers themselves to be competitors with these teams and they want to be playing these teams because they consider themselves to be on par with them whereas with mls it's a little bit different so i understand grabbing the opportunity I think I can just speak anecdotally about some of the vibes that I'm getting from some of these teams and not sure putting 90 more minutes on them, especially with the table being this tight is in retrospect, the greatest idea, but I understand why they jumped on it when they did. So we'll have coverage on all of that, including any other NWSL action this week. God only knows what the league has in store for us in the next seven days. Thank you so much, John, for joining me. Shout out to our producer extraordinaire, Jacqueline Purdy. Thank you to Blue Wire Podcasts. I am your host, Claire Watkins. This has been this week's edition of the Equalizer Podcast.